today, we're going to be looking at the idea of faith when it comes to the, the sense of commitment, okay? Last week, it was that we looked at faith and its connection with trust. This week, we're going to look at faith and its connection with commitment. And I really feel last week and this week are just precursors to talking about some of the dynamics of faith, okay? The next couple weeks, we're going to talk about some of the actual kind of the architect of faith, you know, in a sense. And, um, and then the final week is on Father's Day, and so that's going to be a great day to finish this series. <coughs> Excuse me. But one thing I was thinking of when I thought about the idea of faith and this idea of commitment was that in our culture, in our generation right now, sometimes commitment seems lost, you know. And, 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 and I hate to hear this. I, I hate to hear spoke over, I'm going to speak to this, spoke over the millennial generation that they just don't commit to anything or they're just not this or they're just not that. All I can tell you is this. You ready for this? On Friday night, there was 85 young people in this house seeking the presence of God. I'm serious. 85 young people in this house that were men at this altar praying for each other and, and just seeking God. And, 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 and I, I, to me, that's this generation. Hey, man, I told them, um, I got to close. I had the honor to close. And I said, we're not looking at you to be the church someday. You're going to become the church. Someday you're the church of the future. No, no, you are the church right now, you know. And I'm just hungry to see that younger generation just walk in that commitment with Jesus. But I was so proud of them because that was a group of people here that night that was drawing a line in the sand. They were a group of people here that night saying that I'm going to follow hard after the things of Jesus. It's a, a Friday night just north of Atlanta. There's so many things we could get ourselves into. Amen? But I'm going to follow hard after Jesus. And Today, you know, like last week, we started talking about the prophet Elijah, and we're just going to continue into his story. And when you think of Elijah, you think of a guy following hard after the things of God. Last week, we saw that he was a man that really, at the brook Cherith, learned to trust God. His faith was, was tested and tried through some dirty bird-type miracles, and he kept trusting God. And now I want to see this week, as we begin to look at this idea of his commitment. And the backstory is this. Israel had a king by the name of Ahab. Ahab was Omri's son, and he was literally, the scripture says, one of the worst ever. The man ended up marrying, when your wife's name is Jezebel, you know she got issues. Now, obviously, that's where that started, right? That's where that started. But man, if your wife is known throughout history as, she's a Jezebel, if that's your... If that's your wife, come on. But that woman, Jezebel, she was a pagan, and she brought in the worship of Baal and the worship of the Asherah. She brought all that into Israel, and they began to embrace it fully. And this king, King Ahab, that could have drawn a line in the sand and said, no, we're taking Israel back to the things of God. We're taking Israel back to a place Back to serving God and being able to move in the things of God. We're going to do that. But no, no, no. He began to embrace the gods of Baal. He began to embrace uh, their worship style and built a whole, whole um, 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 Asherah, this big whole thing to worship them. I mean, it was, it was just one of those things where he fully embraced paganism. And you have this prophet, Elijah, who's going to come and is going to bring a charge against him. Is going to come and speak boldly against him. And what happens, you'll see, is he starts to approach Ahab. Ahab says this, is it you, O troubler of Israel? Is it you, O troubler of Israel? 
wait a second. Ahab's the one that brought trouble to Israel. And he's looking at this prophet who's just trying to stand for the things of God. And he's calling him a troubler. Oh, you, you troubler. And all I could think of was, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. He is the troubler, you know. He's going to bring trouble to the kingdom of the enemy. He's going to bring trouble to the things that are trying to destroy. He's going to bring some trouble. And, and I could think of those young people here on Friday night. And all I could think of is, man, that group of troublers. <laughs> that group of, tr God bless that group of troublers. I want to look at you and say, God bless you, you bunch of troublers, you know. It, basically, Elijah, he was a troubler. Why? Because he was not going to accept the fact of moving in the status quo of that time. The whole nation had bought hook, line, and sinker, the worship of, of, of the enemy, you know. The whole nation is pulling. I mean, to the degree that there's a man named Obadiah who's very, very faithful and devout, and he's hiding prophets away, people that have the voice of the Lord in their mouths. He's hiding them away, a hundred of them. He's hiding them because he knows that they'll be killed if he doesn't. And this man Ahab looks at Elijah the prophet and calls him a troubler, you know. And so I just want us to be the kind of people that say, you know what, you're right. Kind of get some attitude. Kind of get some swagger. You know what swagger is, right? You know, just kind of get some swagger. Like, you're right, I am a troubler. I'm finding myself on this side of the line is what I'm doing. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Every it's Memorial Day weekend. Every time there's a battle, there's always a line in the sand, right? And it's like, you know what, you're absolutely right. I'm planning and fixing to bring, we're in the south, we can say fixing, right? I'm fixing to bring trouble to the things of the enemy. That's awesome. And as you see Elijah in this story, he troubles them something fierce. It's awesome. And I just want to kind of throw this out real quick. Faith always requires you to draw a line in the sand. On Friday night, the young evangelist that was preaching, when he said that, I was like, it's already in my notes. This guy's setting up Sunday sermon. Praise God. That's awesome. I love that when that happens. And so the idea here is that faith requires you to draw a line in the sand. And you always see people in the scripture that's marked by great faith. There's always a line drawn. There's always a commitment that is established before the miracle manifests. All right? Think of David and Goliath. You have up on a mountain, you have all the, the, the armies of Israel on this mountain. And the scripture says that arrayed on the other mountain, you have the army of the Philistines. And then guess what is down here? There's a valley. And in that valley, nobody was willing to take a step to where the line was but David. And I love it. David just draws a line, you know. And he comes stepping out to face the giant. And he tells the giant, you come with me at me with sword and with spear, and I come at you in the name of the Lord. That sounds like faith, right? Nothing but five stones and a slingshot? Come on. But he's willing to step away from the masses, all right? Nobody else in the troops of Israel were willing, and this young man's willing to step away from the status quo. And why? Because he's committed. He knows that's his God. And you're going to mock God, you filthy Philistine. You're going to mock God. No, not my time. It's not going to happen. And he steps down into that valley, and he calls the giant out. We need some people in the house that are willing to call the giants out. Amen? To say, you, yeah, you can, that's all right. That's willing to say, you know what, there's some things in my life that need to be destroyed. There's some things in my life that need to come down. You know, there's some things in my society that I don't need to stand for. There's some things that need to, to allow me to rise up as a troubler in the midst of that thing. And I'm going to draw a line and I'm going to stand. 
And then you see the miracle that Goliath died. Isn't that awesome? You see it with the three Hebrew children. You are going to have to worship this idol, this golden statue. And you hear the sound of the music and the trumpets blast, and you're to fall on your face. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, there's no way. They brought trouble, if you will, to Nebuchadnezzar and his crew. There's just no way we're going to do that. And so you hear the blast. You hear the music. Everybody, boom, hits the ground. I don't know what it looked like, but those three Hebrew young men, man, they were troublers. Just troublers. They'd made a commitment to their God, and they were drawing a line. We will not bow down. But everybody else is. I love this. Listen, everybody else is doing it. You scold your children when they talk that way. But often I think I justify things that way. And so do everybody else is doing it's just the way society is today it's just the way life is it's just the way our culture is you know you just gotta kind of go with the flow well, you tell those three hebrew children facing a fiery furnace punishment you tell them that just go with the flow shadrach meshach and abednego no 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 they hear it they stand and you know the whole story they end up in the fiery furnace they end up in the flames they end up in the heat but jesus is right there with them through it you know, could, could it be that we're not willing to be in the heat enough to see a fresh revelation of Jesus in our lives? And we're talking about faith. Faith gets freaky. I'm just being honest. I start thinking about faith, I start thinking about like signs and wonders and miracles and demons getting cast out. I'm serious. Tumors falling off. I think it's awesome, you know. It's cool. But is it, could, could, could it be that we're not willing to stand and draw that line and walk in that kind of commitment that... You know what, God, you are everything. You do that and the heat comes, that's all right. Because Jesus comes too. The presence of God shows up. The power of God shows up. The provision of God shows up. We see it with Daniel in the lion's den. You can't pray to your God. And if you pray to your God, we're going to throw you in a lion's den. And I love it. With Daniel, he draws a line so fierce, I can't pray to my God. You know what? You say I can't pray? I'll pray three times a day. Morning, noon, and night. Oh, wait, you say I can't pray? Not only will I pray three times a day, I'm going to draw a line, okay? I'm not only going to pray three times a day, I'm going to pray three times a day with the window open. I love it. That's bold, right? I, I wonder what that prayer may have sounded like, you know? Oh, God, you're the God of everything. You are the one and only true God. You are it, you know? Begins to pray this. I have a feeling the prayer was to God, but he opened his window. He wanted folk to hear, right? He knows that the only person really hearing that prayer is God, but he knew there was some people. He was a troubler. He's drawing a line, you know. I don't know if he prayed prayers like, God, all these reprobates around here. No, probably not. But he opened his window. That's bold. That's not just succumbing to the status quo. That's making a hard line in the sand. And here's what we see. I want you to stand to your feet as we read this passage in 1 Kings. Just a short one today. And I really don't have a long sermon for you today. I really don't. You know? I'm going to really try not to at least. <laughs> it says in 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came near to all the people and said this. So he, he's coming near to these nations, the, the, to the, the, the prophets that had been gathered at Mount Carmel because he had told Ahab, bring your prophets. And we're going to see what's going on here. And it says, how long will you go limping 
between two different opinions. Some translations will say, how long will you hesitate? In other words, you're not walking with purpose. You're not walking with confidence. You're not walking with surety. You're, 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 you're kind of limping in your faith. You know, it's like, I, I, I think I'm going to do it. I'm reserved, you know. There's no swagger when you're reserved. Like Now, now if you want to pimp your limp, I get that. That's different. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So, but in this, it's like, how long are you going to hesitate? How long are you going to just limp about? And he gives them a challenge. He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. In other words, change your life. Commit to him. Walk it out differently than everybody else in the world. Walk it out. You are a child. If he is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And so we can see right there, there's a dividing line. Faith, I think, really requires us drawing a line in the sand. Just drawing a line in the sand. Those young men that faced the giant, the fiery furnace, and the lions, those young men all drew a line in the sand. And they didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but they knew that was their God, and they were going to stay committed. And in that commitment, God did something incredible and brought miracles, signs, wonders, things that you just never thought possible. And in those stories, too, you'll see changed nations because they stood up in the midst of it. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this today, would you help us, Lord, to just have a resolve to walk in commitment to you? Lord God, we may not know how the miracle is going to manifest. We may not know how long it may take. But Lord God, we choose to say, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have your seat. So when it comes, as I said last week, to tales of ridiculous faith, you can't have a tale of ridiculous faith without ridiculous trust. We talked about that last week. So now as you're trusting, that trust is going to be challenged. And so now the second step to that would be this. You can't have tales of ridiculous faith without ridiculous commitment. Ridiculous commitment. And I got to thinking about it. People who have lived through some stuff and have tales to tell of ridiculous faith, they seem to always be people who live very principled lives. I'm not saying perfect lives. Okay? I'm not saying they got it all figured out. But they're committed, you know. And they may even say, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know exactly if I have the strength to get through this. I'm not going anywhere. He is my God, and I am his child. I'm not going to be moved. Isn't that deep? I've just seen throughout my life people that have those kinds of stories to tell. That I don't see perfection in them. I really don't. But I do see in them just the sense of, of, of a principled lifestyle. And so with that, what does that ridiculous faith look like? What does that ridiculous commitment look like in life? So the first thing, what does ridiculous faith look like? It looks like this. It's a commitment to do what's right, no matter if anyone else is doing it or not. Don't, you, don't we need to hear that in our world today? In the church today? You know? A commitment to do what's right, no matter if anyone else is doing it or not. In 1 Kings 18, the story unfolds. And Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, here's the thing. Was that true? No, no. Elijah, in the chapter before, spoke with Obadiah. 
Elijah knows there's a hundred other prophets hidden, okay? But to Elijah's experience, and that's all we can go on when we're feeling emotion. It's based on our experience, what we're going through. To Elijah, he felt like he was all alone. And there's a lot of people, when they feel like they're all alone in a situation, they're going to back up, or they're going to embrace the status quo, or they're going to go ahead and, and, and succumb to um, desire, temptation, frustration, anger, resentment, whatever it might be. When we feel, and that's one of the biggest tricks of the enemy that will rob you of God's best, is to say there's nobody else in life going through what you're going through. Nobody's ever felt what you've felt. Nobody's ever experienced what you've experienced, you know. Man, I'm sitting with two preachers years ago, Dale Stevens and Tim Newby. And I'm sitting there, and I had been going through my, as I said last week, my punk stage, and I'm upset about being deaf, and I'm upset about being broke, and I'm upset about all, you know, just life in general. And I'm sitting there, and Tim begins to talk. Actually, it was, it was Dale first, begins to talk about a missionary friend of his who's mid-20s, full-time on the field, and the missionary's wife loses her leg to cancer. 25-year-old young woman on the field, and now she has no leg. Having to use a prosthetic, you know, on the field, faithful. She never was backing down, and Dale was talking about the joy this girl has, and etc. And, and then Tim begins to talk about his daughter, and I was just getting to know Tim at the time, and we're pretty close now, but at the time I was just getting to know him, and I didn't realize he had a daughter that struggled with autism, and to the degree that she can't articulate words, and, and he's telling this story of this 10, 11, maybe 12-year-old girl. She must be about 12, because I think she's, just, she's about 18 now. And he was telling the story about her, and how she will play music, and she'll... Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> she can't articulate. And that's how he described it. She, ah, ah. And she'll put her hands up and she'll worship for hours the presence of a living God. And she can't even articulate his name. At least in the way that we would understand. But that girl understands. And as he began to tell the story of his daughter in worship, I felt that big as I should have. And all I could hear was like, Paul, these light afflictions. That's all I have is a light affliction. These are people facing some real stuff. And we were eating at Mary Max. Not a real manly place to eat, but it's good. And my whole drive home, now I, I do like collard greens and pot liquor. Come on. That's some good stuff. I didn't say liquor. I said pot liquor. Anybody know what that is, right? Oh, my gosh. You know what's funny? I'm from the north and I'm more southern than you. I'm telling you, right? Man, I'm telling you, because a hillbilly mama from Kentucky raised me right. Now, pot liquor is collard greens, and it's that good juice that's on the bottom of all them collard greens. Don't you throw that out. Smack your hand. No, you drink that. That's, you put, actually put your cornbread in there. Ooh, I'm talking about the Lord now. It's good stuff. <laughs> Preaching on house water. I got I to gotta go. No, but it's wonderful. But I'm on my way home from there, and oh, I'm just weeping in my car. I'm just driving and weeping and just broken. Like, God, what is wrong with me? And that was one of those things. It was just that season where the Lord was just starting to show me just how selfish I How I, and I'll talk about this a little bit more toward the end, how I was committed to God's hands, but not to his face. Committed to his stuff, but not so much the substance of relationship 
with him. And God was being gracious to let me go through stuff so I could be able to realize him. Not get stuff, but realize him. And so much like that, Elijah just feels like he's all alone. I'm all alone here. Even I, I'm the only prophet left. And we know that's not true, but to him it was. And so he's committed to doing what was right, even if anybody else wasn't doing it. Nobody else was doing it. And so it says here, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wool and put wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So we'll set two altars up, and when it's all said and done, we will know who God is. We will know. You know what, you know what I think is really neat? Something the Lord just, just pumped in my heart. Two altars they set up. Two, even that speaks of division. Two different altars they set up. It wasn't like Elijah's like, I'm going to come and hang around what you worship. I'm going to come and hang around what you, you, you celebrate. I'm going to come and hang around what you embrace, world. I'm going to come and hang around what, what you think is so important, world. Even that, it's like, mm, my God is so special. I'm setting something else up over here. I'm not, even, I'm not even getting close. I'm setting it up over here. That's cool. I like that. Somebody put a note on that. I might preach on that someday. I may have just a little already. <laughs> I like that. That's good stuff. And so 450 people, they had committed themselves to a false god, to a lesser ideal. And we live in a day and age where people, I believe, they want spirituality, but they will not commit themselves to the god of these scriptures. Now, here's the thing. They want spirituality. They won't commit themselves to the god of these scriptures, or they'll commit themselves to the god of these scriptures, but they won't commit themselves to the scriptures of this god. Can I slow that back a little? Rewind, okay? They will not commit themselves to the God of the scriptures, or they won't commit themselves to the scripture of the God of this word. Well, that's not really what God's saying. That's not really what God means. Now, I know there's gray areas. There are. And, and, and we are a church full of grace, Amen. And those gray areas, man, we, don't, we just don't get into that much. We talk about finding the face of God, seeking him, hearing his voice on your life for those gray areas. But there's some stuff that's black and white. Come on. And our minds are never more creative when we justify sin. Just never more. Well, that's not really what that means. No, 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 it is. It is. And so the thing is, it's the idea of those, those, those prophets of Baal who are committing themselves to something lesser. But Elijah's like, no, 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 no. I want the fire. I want what's real. And whoever altar gets licked up with fire, that's the one, that's the real deal. That's God. And so Elijah knows who he's committed to. And man, he is standing strong in that. But we have a culture, it seems, so often that is committed to lesser things. And I just want to tell you, if you in your life begin to look at Scripture and say, ah, I don't know if that's really what that means. And God is pressing on your heart. Life change? Man, you're committing to something completely less. And there's no promise of fire. There's no promise of miracle. There's no promise of strength. There's no promise of provision. There's, there's no, man, the fruit of faith comes on the backside of that commitment. And as you walk in that commitment, and yes, I'm not saying overnight, it can be difficult. But as you walk in that commitment, you'll start to see the promise of the fire. 
you'll start to see God show up. But Ross, it's hard. I mean, no. I think being a true Christ follower is one of the easiest, hardest things you'll ever do. It's easy as we rest in the grace of God, but it's hard as we say, God, I'm not going to stay where I'm at today. I'm going to keep growing. Man, our men's breakfast was crazy good on Saturday. And I was talking to a fella, and he said the Lord had given him this vision as he was in the woods one time. And he said the Lord has shown him a house of ill repute, you know. And he said it was the idea that it symbolized everything that he would struggle with in his sexuality, you know. And he said as he's going, he saw himself go into that house of ill repute and, 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 and be sinfully engaged, you know, wholeheartedly. And then he said he came out in his mind's eye with the thought that the father, that Jesus, rather, he was walking with, would look at him with complete shame and disdain and, and, and just turn from him. And he said when he came out in his mind's eye, he saw Jesus look at him and say, okay, are you done with that? Because I, I kind of want to go for a walk some more. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Isn't that awesome? And he continued to walk with Jesus. And over the years, God broke the addiction of pornography off his life. Isn't that beautiful? That's how I see the Father. I, I don't see Jesus like, like, here's the line, you filthy, dirty dog. And if you can't stay on this side of the line, I rebuke you. No, no. Here's the line. Come, get a hold of my face, you know. Come look deep in my Galilean eyes, you know. Walk with my, 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 my steps, my stride. Come, come. Let's, let's go. Are you, done, are you done with that? Because, I mean, you can busy yourself with that. Are you done with Let's walk. Let's go. Come on. We got things to do. We got a life to, to lead. We got a relationship to forge. Isn't that awesome? And so I'm hoping today you're not going to get in your mind this, this judgment. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an idea of drawing a line saying, God, it's so good over here. Why would I ever go over so good over here. Why would I want to embrace what's over there? When I do struggle, God, help me get quickly back over this line and walk with you. And so when it comes first, that idea of ridiculous faith, that ridiculous commitment, first it, it, it lends toward that if nobody else is doing it, I'm still going to walk and do right. The second thing, I promise my notes, when it comes to this idea of commitment, um, if you're going to walk after God, that what does ridiculous faith look like? It's, it's not just a commitment to do what's right. It's a commitment to do what's right no matter what is getting dumped on you. Okay? Watch this. This is fun. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, and as great as wood contained two seas of seed, he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time, and do it a, another third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with the water. You know, this is going to be an impossible task for God's fire to be seen. This is going to be an impossible task for this miracle to manifest. But it's all right. It doesn't matter how much keeps getting dumped on you, and you stay in the game. I'm getting dumped on, but I'm committed because I know... God that I serve is the God, period. And I know he's going to show up. And life does have a way of dumping things on you. And so what does our commitment look like when everything is being poured out on us? 
And I begin to think about a few of those things that gets poured out. One is hardship. Hardship starts getting poured out on us, and we begin to fall away sometimes. We get angry and resentful and bitter and frustrated. And how many of you guys remember Larry Young that came and preached a few years ago? Do you remember Larry? Maybe two years ago. He's a friend of mine. He was in my wedding. He's about 25 years older than me, and um, he was just a young evangelist when I was a little guy, and I looked up to him, and I had him come to my wedding. He's been faithful all the years of his ministry, and he has cancer. And before he got really sick, he came and ministered to us. And man, what a wonderful, just precious, sincere kind of guy. And um, about two weeks ago, I call him on a Monday night just to check on him. And come to find out, he was getting the first opportunity because he's been really sick. And he was getting the first opportunity to preach that coming Friday night. And I was getting an opportunity to preach um, at the district council in Alabama. And so I, I, I said, Larry, let me pray with you. And so I go to praying for Larry for strength and et cetera. He has to do some travel to get there. And, and, um, and I didn't realize how, I know he's sick. I know that. But I didn't realize how bad it was, the hardship that's facing him. And um, he goes to praying for me. And the power of God hits our phone conversation. Man, I, I'm a blubbering mess. He's a blubbering mess. I mean, he's speaking prophetic word over me. I'm speaking prophetic word over. It's just life and life and life and, I mean, cursing the enemy. And, I mean, it was, we had church. It was awesome. I get off the phone with Brother Larry, and, um, and his wife gets on the phone. And she goes, Ross, I don't think you realize his family was all in town. The Make-A-Wish Foundation had brought them in town for a few days, and they had already went back to California. He, she goes, they were here for a week. This is the most I've heard him talk in two weeks. Like, he, he you, I, you just experienced a miracle, Ross. Like, I, I didn't, re- I mean, just, it was powerful. I'm telling him, you know, in my Bible, not this one, in my Bible I had as a 20, early, mid-20-something, I wrote down 10 names of preachers. A guy said, write down 10 names of preachers that you look up to. And he said, only three of those will retire from ministry. The rest will have moral failure or they'll just get worn out in ministry and go sell cars or something, you know. And um, Larry's still on that. <laughs> Larry's still on that list. And so even facing cancer and, and the frustration he's going through, he's still on that list. And he just, just, just tore me up. And I told him, I said, I told him that story. He never knew I, I had him in my Bible. And I said, Larry, I said, I, I just want you to know I'm going to commit to you, brother. I said, you've shown me the way. And I said, I promise you I'm going to live this not for you, but, you know, I want you to know, man, in honor of you, I'm, I'm going to live this. I'm not going to back down. And um, he's crying. It was powerful. And he's facing this hardship. I get a video of Larry, and he's preaching Friday night. His whole sermon, he preached a 15-minute sermon. And he's holding on to his little whatever it is, you know. And he would not sit. His wife's like, just sit and preach. I'm just going to stand up here and stay quiet. No matter what's getting dumped on you, man, that guy right there is a commitment and yes, I believe God can heal him. I do. I don't understand if it doesn't happen. But I know this. The face of God is more important to Larry Young than the hand of God. Than getting something. And he has the pleasure of the face of the Lord. And, and, and maybe the Lord will choose to bring him home face to face. And that's all right. That's a miracle. That's probably the first really awesome miracle of anybody's life, right? And so hardship can make you back up. Temptation can make you not commit, you know? That temptation is just so strong, you know? Peer pressure can bring you down as well. That can just dump on you. Peer pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure, just so much. And listen, I understand young people. I get that. Old people, all of us, we face peer pressure too. 
And so in life, some of us get frustrated when the things that we're going through keep turning out the way they are. And I just want to say, if you, if you live life committed to lesser things, expecting great fruit, great blessing, and great miracles to show up, you'll always be frustrated. Right? And the reason why is because you're not training yourself. All right? So I live for lesser things, and I'm frustrated that God doesn't show up. Well, it's kind of twofold. One, lesser things doesn't bring the miracle, number one. And two, lesser things don't shape you to be okay when the miracle's delayed. Lesser things don't shape who you are to be able to be comfortable not receiving from his hand and be okay with just experiencing his face. Does it make sense? That's how important commitment is. If your focus is on anything but the face of God, you'll eventually get frustrated. So what are you focused on? If, if I ask you that, what are you focused on or what are you committed to, the, that is one of the most important questions to answer. Why? Because, listen, commitment proceeds action. I'm, I'm going to get through this real quick. Commitment precedes action. What you are committed to, you will act upon. What you act upon will bring the fruit of your commitment. And so what are you focused on? What, what are you committed to? What, what, what is that? Because it's going to precede how you act. And so watch this as we close. Oh, Lord God of Abraham. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Did I miss a scripture? I may miss a scripture. I'll just tell you the story. I don't have it in there. So basically the prophets of Baal, they do their thing. They're getting their mojo on, man. They're cutting themselves. They're doing everything they can to try to get their God to light the fire up, and it's not happening. It just doesn't happen. They're trying to do everything they can to make it happen. It won't happen. And I'm to the point where I love that Elijah asks, you know, maybe your God's busy. Maybe your God's relieving himself. <laughs> I, I, that's horrible, but that's like Elijah's like... <laughs> Just saying, you know. <laughs> That's like Elijah saying, I'll punch you in the throat. No, I'm teasing. So when it comes down to it, all Elijah does, this is the fruit of his commitment. This is the fruit of his relationship with God. This is the fruit of that. Watch. He just prays this about 17, maybe 22nd prayer. Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And it says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust. And it licked up all the water that was in the trench. Everything that's been dumped on you, God just, all this stuff for me for seven, eight years I felt was dumped on me. I have joy in all that stuff now. I don't, I, I, I've told him this. i got to stop talking about it, you know. But I just have so much joy still in it. God, thank you for all the stuff that got dumped. I couldn't have said it when I was going through it. But thank you for showing me a way out. And the way out really was just getting focused and committed to his face. And so we see this happen and then the fire falls. And can I just say God is looking to send fire? Yeah, he is. But he's looking for a people who have drawn a line in the sand. We as a church need the fire of God in our lives. We as a church need to see the manifest presence of God that does amazing things. And I believe as a church, each of us individually, we need to draw that line and say, God, if no one else is doing it, I'm doing it. I'm serving you. If nobody else will act right, if nobody else will talk right. If nobody else will pursue peace. If nobody else will pursue forgiveness, if nobody else will walk in grace, I'll walk in grace. All those catty people at the school, you know what? I'm going to walk in grace anyhow. Nobody else. 
Nobody else is spending their money the way they should spend their money. I'm going to spend my money the way I should spend my money. Nobody else, young people, listen, and I'll say old people. Nobody else will stand for purity in your sexual relationships. That's our, that's our world. Nobody, nobody feels that's possible. Make a decision. I'm going to stand for purity. I want the fire of God to show up in my bedroom someday. Come on. That's funny right there. And they didn't walk out when I said that. She's not there now. No. Stand fast. So if nobody else, I'm still standing fast. Number two, no matter what gets poured on. Hardship, temptation, peer pressure, whatever it is, societal norms getting poured onto us, poured onto us, poured on. No, no, no. I will not be satisfied with the status quo. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Close your eyes. If that's you today and you want to draw a line in the sand, would you raise your hand today in this house? Amen. You want to draw a line in the sand, raise your hand in this house. Jesus, right now, every hand that's raised, God, would you give them strength? They're not alone in their commitment to stand. You were right there with Elijah, the God that lit the fire, Lord God. That's who you are, and you were standing there with Elijah the whole time, even in the midst of his fear, even in the midst of his worry. And we thank you, Lord, for us as a church, we want to stand for what's right, and we want to watch the fire fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.com. TV.